Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, and we're going to look at dealing with doubtful things. Someone wrote this little ditty, look as I look, do as I do, then and only then I'll fellowship with you. That is way too much of the way the church in America is today. Look as I look, do as I do, then and only then I will fellowship with you. Now there are essentials that we ought to be strong on. But there are other areas that we should look at and think about and say, you know, that is not an essential area. We should not be confused about absolutes. Because when you're confused about absolutes, there's chaos. And there's confusion and there's doubt and there's disunity. What, what Paul is dealing with here is gray areas between strong and weak. Those that are strong and deep in their faith, those that are young and weak in their faith. And he's doing all of this in the context of what he began with, which is Romans 12, 1 and 2. That we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that we are to be living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. But then you come to those areas that have split churches, split families, divided people, broken fellowship with people, those gray areas, those non-essentials. How do you deal with non-essentials when some people want to make them essential? Romans 14 in verse 1. Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Here's where we, what we need to understand. If we don't get this right, the devil finds ways to get in and to divide us against one another. So what are the issues? Well, he, he's not talking about the essentials of our faith. He's not talking about the inerrancy of Scripture. He's not talking about the virgin birth. He's not talking about the sinless Son of God. He's not talking about the death of Christ on the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, or the second coming. He, he's, he's telling us, and he has told us in the book of Romans, which is the strongest doctrinal book that Paul wrote, he is, he's told us, you don't tolerate anything that's not the pure gospel. You don't take a watered-down gospel. You preach and live the gospel. But he's not speaking about differences of opinion regarding our behavior on clear-cut commands. I mean, God says some things and he doesn't stutter. And he's not talking about us holding a different op of opinion on clear-cut things that God has said. Some things are always right and some things are always wrong and it doesn't matter what the polling says. So, what he's dealing with here are the gray areas, the marginal issues. That we are supposed to have spiritual discernment, but not a critical spirit about those who see secondary things differently than we see them. Maybe they're 
things that define denominations. Maybe they're secondary spiritual issues. But Paul is trying to tell us to not make the trivial the most important. And so he starts out talking about food, specifically diets in verse 2. I, for one, am grateful that all food is good. Now, there's some things I don't want to eat, but I am so thankful that bacon is on the menu. What would our world be without bacon? I mean, some hog gave his life so I could lose mine earlier. <laughs> he, he talks about food. He talks about special days in verse 5. Areas where the scripture is not dogmatic. Somebody has said about these verses that these are areas of speculation rather than revelation. God has not revealed a specific way we are to think about some of these things. He's probably referring to the Jewish dietary laws. Josephus tells us that there were Jews that were practicing vegetarians, and it was a tradition for them and a preference, but not required. There's nothing in the, you know, you see people that say, well, I'm a vegan. That doesn't make you more spiritual. And if you eat red meat, that doesn't make you carnal. I mean, we, we got to get over the what food people are eating. I mean, all of us could eat less, but I like to eat more. I'm like the two little old ladies that got to heaven and they looked at each other and they saw the streets of gold and the gates of pearl and they looked at each other and said, man, if we hadn't eaten all those bran muffins, we could have been here 10 years ago. So food. Now they were concerned about meat offered to idols. So they, they would go down to the local grocery store and they'd want to know, was has that meat been sacrificed to idols and then sold for people to eat? Paul says it doesn't matter. By the way, you don't know what anybody in any restaurant you're going to is doing in the kitchen. So if you're going to get hung up about this stuff, you're going to go nuts. I mean, you don't know if they're praying over the food, if they're dropping the food on the floor and going by the five-second rule, that if it's only on the floor for five seconds, it's still good. I mean, you don't know what's going on. You don't know if they've cleaned the counter back there. they got a health rating. They probably lied about it. Hey, you don't know any of that stuff. And Paul is saying, don't get upset about this kind of stuff. He talks about special days. Now, there he's probably talking about the Levitical days. He's not referring to the Sabbath or the Lord's Day because that was a part of the moral law. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, not the ceremonial law. And so what Paul is doing here is he's telling us, don't let your preferences and your traditions overrule truth and love, and unity. I'm afraid we argue too much about these kind of things when really what people need is Jesus. Uh, they don't need all this other stuff that we have made essential. What they just need is Jesus. So Paul is talking to the weak, first of all. And the weak are the people that are most concerned about rules and systems and regulations and do's and don'ts. I mean, the, the weak are the legalists. They, they, they've got boxes that they check, and they want to make sure every box is checked. And the more rules they have, 
Paul would say, the weaker you are. Who are the weakest people in all of Israel? The Pharisees. The one that kept creating rules for people to live by. We, we, we so burden people with rules. And guess what? None of us can live up to the rules. Even the people that write the rules can't live up to them. Congress can't live up to the laws that they pass. So it, it's not about rules. Rules don't make you strong. They show that you're weak and you need a crutch to measure your life by more than you need a Christ to love. And God did not save us for us to have rules and crutches to measure ourselves or other people by. He saved us to have a Christ that we show love to. So what are these doubtful things? Well, he gives us some principles. First of all, in verses 1 and 3 in chapter 15 and verse 7, he says we're to love others. We're to love others. They're loved by God. We ought to love them. Now remember, he's writing to the church, he's writing how Christians relate to one another, and he's saying that we need to love others. What's the second commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're always going up and tacking rules on your neighbor's door, you're not showing love for your neighbor. There has to be a little grace here. Love others. Don't point fingers at them. Love other people. Give, don't give them a cold shoulder. Don't refuse to have fellowship with them because they don't like the things you like. Listen, I've watched people in this town not go to an FCA banquet to try to reach kids for Christ because they didn't like the team of the coach that was speaking. Get over it. If he's a believer and he cares about lost people, I don't care if you hate his team, love him and support that ministry when it's there. Good grief. I mean, we have so bought the stupidity of Satan that says measure things by things that are unmeasurable. And so he says we're to love one another. By the way, we all may be wrong. You could be wrong, I could be wrong on some points of secondary things. So we are to love one another. Charles Hodge said, if God has not made it a barrier to communion with him, we dare not make it a barrier to fellowship with us. You see, some folks have a holier-than-thou mentality. Some folks have a holier-than-God mentality. I mean, Jesus couldn't even fellowship with them. Of course, he couldn't fellowship with the legalists because Jesus fellowshiped with publicans and sinners. Jesus hung around with lost people. There are some Christians who only hang around with Christians. If I can't be around Christians, I'm, not going to, I'm just not going to do it. I only do Christian things. Well, how in the world is the world going to see the love of Jesus if they don't see it in us if we're not out in the middle of it? If we just stay in our holy huddles. You see, we cannot make the church or our faith, a place where we wrangle over things that don't matter. You see, I don't really care what political party you're a part of. I don't care what social group you're a part of. I don't care what fraternity or sorority you are in in college. I don't care about any of that stuff. What I really care about is, do you love Jesus? Because that other stuff doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. Because five seconds after you're dead, it's not going to matter. 
So if it doesn't matter after you're dead, why is it mattering so much to us now? Because we want to draw a line and say, well, I can't fellowship with that person. Love others. Secondly, don't judge or despise others. Verses 3 and 4 and verses 10 through 13. Now here's, here's what Paul is telling us. The weak tend to judge the strong. Like the Pharisees judge. Can you imagine the Pharisees judging the Son of God? I mean, they're looking at God in flesh saying, He doesn't live up to our standards. Can you imagine the absurdity of that? By the way, I've met Baptists who think like that. You see, the weak tend to judge the strong, and the strong tend to despise the weak and mock them. But if you read Romans 12 through 14 in the Sermon on the Mount, and you put them side by side, you'll see a lot of similarities between these two passages of Scripture. We, we tend to judge three things wrongly. First of all, we judge the wrong issues. We judge the wrong issues. We look for the speck in the other person's eye while we've got a log in ours. We, we tend to judge the wrong issues. Here's how we define sin. Sin is what you do that I don't do that I don't approve of. We don't define sin biblically. We define sin by our preferences. And if somebody doesn't live up to our preferences, they must be sinning. Secondly, the wrong person, verses 4 and 10. You see, you can judge somebody and get in their business when the scriptures would tell us, look in your own mirror. Look at your own life. Before you say something about someone else, look at your own life. And here's the question to ask when you're judging the wrong person. Would I want others to judge me the way I'm judging them? Wrong issues, wrong person, wrong time. Hey, God's the judge. God's the judge. His word is the standard. And the ultimate issue is not between me and somebody else. The ultimate issue is between me and the Lord. I, I have to answer for my life. You know, I have to answer as the pastor of this church for leading and shepherding this church. I have to answer that. But at the end of the day, I don't answer for your life and you don't answer for mine. We answer for our own lives. We're not going to go before the, the judgment seat of Christ and give an account in groups. We're going to go alone and give an account of our lives. And so we, we have to be careful that we don't judge or despise others simply because they disagree with us. Now remember, this is all in the context of secondary things and preferences. Number three, think before you speak. Think before you speak. Am I responding out of a renewed mind and out of love, or did my tongue get ahead of my brain? Think before you speak. Now, there, there are two words that come to mind, and, and Paul deals with these in Galatians, uh, of license and legalism and liberty. We live in liberty, but some people wanted to sin so that grace could abound. They wanted to live in license, and some people wanted to live in legalism. Let me tell you what those two do. License says everybody's doing it so I can do it. Legalism says nobody should do it, and I'm going to condemn anybody that does. So we think before we speak. As I was looking back over these notes this morning, this thought hit me. 
We have too many opinions and not enough convictions. But we also have too many convictions that are really just opinions. We got too many opinions and not enough convictions about things that matter. But we also have too many convictions that are really just my opinion about something. My feelings, my thought, the way I'm made, the way I was raised, the way I grew up, the people that I hang around with. It's just my opinion. It's not a conviction. You know what a conviction is? A conviction is something you're willing to die for. Well, you know, I, I just believe women shouldn't wear pants. You willing to die for that? I just don't think women ought to have short hair. You willing to die for that? I just don't think men ought to have long hair. Are you willing to die for that? That's your opinion. That's religion. I just think it ought to be this, and I think it ought to be that. That's an opinion. That's not a conviction. I'll tell you what you ought to be willing to die for, that Jesus is the only way to the Father. That's what's worth dying for. That you can't get to heaven apart from Christ. It's not an option. It's not open to debate. It doesn't matter what anybody says. It's what God says. Number four, we're to live under lordship. Verse seven. For not one of us lives for himself. Uh, By the way, that would eliminate a lot of people in churches today. Not one of us lives for himself and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Now, let's go back to living under lordship and let's talk for a minute about legalism and license. Why is legalism more attractive than lordship? Because legalism is a substitute for lordship. I don't have to make Jesus Lord of my life because I've got five rules that I expect everybody to live by. And if they live by that, then they're in my team and they're on my party and they're, they're a part of me. Legalism is a substitute for lordship, but license is a rejection of lordship. Nobody's going to tell me anything. I don't care what God says. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So in lordship, we acknowledge and we embrace the freedom that we find on our liberty in Christ, but it is within the parameters and the boundaries of holiness and righteousness and godliness. Number five, live by love. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. That stumbling block means to spring a trap, to intentionally try to do something that would hurt somebody else. Don't intentionally do it. If if a weaker brother says, well, that bothers me, then don't just rub it in their face that it doesn't bother you. If they're weaker, acknowledge it. They need to, the, the weaker brother needs to grow in knowledge of truth. The stronger brother needs to grow in grace and love. So if a person is weaker and says, well, well, I, I don't like, I don't like that then don't sit down across the table from them and wag your finger in their face. 
And if you're weaker and you see somebody doing something that doesn't meet your rules, don't post on Facebook that you think that they're sinners and they need to get right with God. Back up a little bit. Live by love. You see, we live under the law of liberty, but the law of liberty is the law of love. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom in an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Corinthians 6.12 All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Paul is saying multiple places, don't use your freedom in Christ to indulge yourself. To just say, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Because you have to think about others. Because why? Christ died for others. Number six, live for what matters. Live for what matters. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. See, what matters to God should be what matters to us. We, we spend try, time trying to convince other people to see things our way from our preferences. And, and so we're, we end up selling and marketing and promoting everything but Jesus. Secondary things. Everything but Jesus. And what, what Paul is saying to us here is that we live for what matters. We don't live by labels. We live for what matters. I, you know, I, I've got people that have different positions on things than I do. I'm not talking about truth. I'm talking about secondary things. They have different positions on things than I do. I can still fellowship with them. I can still love them. I can still enjoy being with them. All those labels are man-made. You won't find them in the Bible. They're not even in the Apocrypha or the notes in the back. They're man-made labels by people with preferences. And so denominations get started out of preferences. And so the Fellowship Baptist Church, all of a sudden, they don't have fellowship with one another because they don't like something that somebody in the Fellowship Church is doing, and they start the new Fellowship Church. And then after about four or five years, they don't like something that's going on, and they start the Greater Fellowship Church. And then after that, there's a, something else comes up, and they start the We're Better at Any Fellowship Than Anybody Church. And then it just gets down to us four and no more, and they can't have fellowship with each other, so they all go in separate corners and pout. That's not Jesus. Listen, folks, as times get hard and as we move toward the second coming, we need to be focusing on the gospel and on Jesus and not on our preferences and our positions.
So we are to, to live for others. And look, don't make externals the issue. Don't make externals the issue. You know, well, you can't come to this church unless you wear a coat and tie. Hey, come to this church and whatever you got. I mean, use some discernment, but <laughs> we don't need the speedo section. Or, I mean, use some discernment. But if we start judging by the externals, then the people that have little or nothing have no way to get in the door. And the sign ought to say, whosoever will can come. The gospel does not say, clean up and go buy something new, and then you can come to Christ and come to church. The gospel says, whosoever will can come. So don't focus on externals, because it's, the issue is not externals, it's the eternals. And what's eternal is the souls of men and the word of God. And look at what he says, we live for what matters. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness in our inner being. How we relate to ourselves. Are we living righteously? Righteousness is how we relate to ourselves. Peace is how we relate to others. We want to walk in peace with other people. We want to walk in in unity. How can two walk together unless they agree? That doesn't mean you got to agree on everything. It means we ought to agree on the essentials. Amen. And joy is how we relate to God. The great joy that we have of the freedom that we have in Christ that has set us free from our sin, set us free from bondage. And so he says it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 22, he's talking about the results of faith. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Now, he's talking about whether you have a conviction about meat offered to idols, what you eat, special days, have it as your own conviction. You could write in the margin of your Bible by that verse, don't preach your preferences. Preach the word. Don't preach your preferences. Don't promote your preferences. Preach the word. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he is eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, whatever is not from faith is sin is one of those verses that we tend to take out of context and we quote it and put it on coffee cups and we put it on plaques and we put it on t-shirts. Here's the context of it. Whatever is not of faith in how you act towards secondary things or how you act towards other people with secondary things is sin. Now, as Ron Dunn would say, in my humble and accurate opinion, which I highly respect, if I disassociate and disfellowship with somebody because they have some secondary issue, either theologically or socially, if I disassociate with them, then I have sinned because I have made me God and them the sinner. Rather than we're both sinners that need to lean on a Savior for help and understanding. 
And if I find somebody that's weaker and got rules, I need to help them. Maybe I need to sit down with them and say, why don't we walk through the book of Galatians together and find out about what real living is like and what liberty in Christ is like. But if I, if I find somebody that's stronger and they're always putting down the weaker, what I need to ask them to do is go hand out a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. Don't preach preferences. Preach Christ. The church is his church. It's his body. He's the head. And sometimes my left hand doesn't like what my right hand is doing. And my left foot doesn't want to go where my right foot wants to go. But if I'm attached to the head, I'm going in the same direction. And I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. There is unity in diversity. Listen, Hitler made people walk in step. That is not the gospel. The gospel sees differences. There are differences in styles of worship. There are differences in understanding of social issues and secondary issues. All of that stuff. And I'm not watering down any of that. And I'm not getting soft on sin. I'm not, I'm not saying pamper the flesh. What I'm saying is we need to spend a whole lot more time talking about Jesus. And a whole lot less time talking about what we think or what we feel because Jesus doesn't really care about what I think or what I feel he cares about if I'm surrendered to submitting to his lordship and to do whatever he tells me to do Amen. you see when I set up rules for somebody else I'm really trying to play the Holy Spirit I'm saying the Holy Spirit is not powerful enough inside of that person to convict them of what they need to do. So I'm going to be the Holy Spirit for them so that they'll behave in a way that pleases me. And the truth of the matter is sometimes I'm wrong on things and sometimes you're wrong on things. But we can't be wrong on Jesus. We've got to be crystal clear on him. So I want to ask you to stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. I want to ask you this morning, just very simply, is there anyone here or somewhere else that you would need to go to and say, I need you to forgive me because I've judged you by my standards, not by the word. I've judged you by my preferences, not by the word. I've judged you by my opinions, not by the word. Is there anyone that you know right now that the reason they have rejected Christ is because they've seen a poor caricature of Christ in someone who is always telling them that what they're doing is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and always got the list of do's and don'ts, but they've never told them about the love of Jesus. Listen, folks, God can fix people quicker than you can. And God can change hearts. That's what the Holy Spirit's there for, is to change hearts. Our job is to be walking witnesses of the life-changing power of the love of Christ who took us when we were sinners, when we couldn't live up to the rules, and when we had no love of God, and he changed us from the inside out. That's what God's trying to do.
Anybody that you need to leave this place and go share the gospel with, I'm talking about good news. Because every one of us have had somebody in this town, every one of us, if we've talked at all about the Lord, every one of us have had somebody in this town said, oh, I can't go there because I don't have the right clothes. I can't go there because I don't do this. I can't go there because I don't do that. I can't go there because I work at Miller Brewery. I, I can't go there because I work for this company. Listen, stop it. Stop it. And only you can stop it. Only you and only I can tell a lost world, I don't care who you are, I don't care where you are, I don't care where you've been, I don't care what you've done, God loves you unconditionally. Only Jesus can do that. But he needs us as his vessels to share that good news. Because the message of American Christianity has been for too long, clean up and come to Christ. That's not the way Jesus met sinners in the Bible. He met sinners where they were and said, go and sin no more. If you're here today and you need to trust Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it doesn't get any simpler than this. Christ died for your sin. He rose to give you power over your sin. He came to set captives free. He came to open blind eyes and deaf ears. He came to work in your heart. And if right now the Spirit of God is moving in your heart and you're realizing that you've never trusted Christ because you feared you could not be good enough, just get that thought out of your mind. Because you can't be good enough. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. Not one is righteous. Not one is good enough to deserve salvation or to earn salvation. It's a gift of God. So we're going to sing a verse of a song. Mark's going to sing it. As he does, if you need to trust Christ today, you step out and come. But if you're not trusting Christ today, then I'm going to ask you to circle in with the Holy Spirit in your life right now and just ask the Lord, Lord, help me to be the brother or the sister in Christ that other people need me to be. See, sings, you come.